Hi, Bruno Jr. here. Our podcast, Busting Addiction and Smiths, is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com. SafeHouse believes that traditional treatments fall short of the needs of clients who face the modern problems of addiction. Modern problems need modern solutions. Multiple addictions, multiple relapses, multiple triggers, and cheaper and more powerful street drugs set up unprecedented challenges facing treatment centers. What is needed is a more sophisticated approach, a better way forward. There are three reasons to choose our progressive modern treatment program. One, a more sophisticated intake process. Two, technology proven to enhance recovery. And three, the most robust aftercare program in our sector. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com. So this is Season 13, Episode 9, entitled Compassion versus Enabling, Where's the Line? We've spoken of the tricky issue of enabling, which happens when the family leader, usually the mom, thinks she is helping her addict son when in fact she is feeding his disease. She's not really aware that behind his troubles lurks the predator disease called alcoholism. Here's an example drawn in large part from a series of true incidents as described by a well-known author on addiction, and her name is Deborah J. J J-A-Y. The first time Robert, a young man that Deborah actually knew, got in serious trouble as a result of alcoholism, nobody identified alcohol as the problem. His parents' reaction is a perfect example of innocent enabling. You think you're helping, but you are just feeding a growing monster. Robert was home for the holidays. His mother lent him her beautiful new car for an evening out with his old high school buddies. But Robert secretly had other plans. He stole away to a seedy old house where he, where he could drink and do drugs. Once there, he spent several hours smoking marijuana and drank several bottles of wine. Not one, but several. By the time he left, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. Intoxicated and paranoid, dope does that to you. He drove his mother's car toward home. When he saw a police car about a quarter of a mile behind him, he kept his eyes locked on the rearview mirror, monitoring the cruiser's every move. You can imagine what happened next. Robert was so obsessed with the police car that he didn't see the car stopped at a red light directly ahead of him. He careened into the car without ever braking. Fortunately, nobody was injured. The police pulled up checked out the scene, and drove Robert home in the squad car. He was too drunk and too high to speak coherently, so his mom and dad just sent him to bed. To make him responsible for what he had done, Robert's parents told him he'd have to pay to repair the damage to the car, but they never discussed how intoxicated and worse he was the night before. For Robert was their beloved son, the promising college student, the young man with a future, A son with a drinking problem was not an image they could bear. The idea that he was also using illegal drugs was even less imaginable. This was small-town America, where everyone knew everyone else, and so they kind of swept the incident under the rug. No charges were filed, and in this story, almost everyone touched by the incident became an innocent enabler. Now, if Robert had suffered a seizure, he would have been treated with the best of medical care. But if someone were to be arrested for drunk driving, we don't call for an assessment or treatment. What do we do? We call an attorney. 
The townspeople around Robert just didn't know any better. His parents thought they were helping. Robert's real problem is addiction wasn't addressed until years later when things got much worse and a lot more damage had been done. That's what innocent enabling looks like. Now, there's another form of enabling that Deborah J. talks about, and it's called desperate enabling. And here's how she describes it, quote, We round a corner and come face to face with reality. Denial is splayed wide open and we can no longer ignore the truth. It is addiction after all. What do we do now? Do we rush to find the best information on addiction? Do we ask friends how they successfully help someone in their lives? Do we look for the best books on addiction in the ebook store or bookstore or library? Do we make an appointment with an addiction specialist? Hell no! Once we know our loved one is indeed addicted, we work overtime to make sure the worst doesn't happen to him and we clean up those things that do happen. We cover up. We are so ashamed and afraid we cannot bear the truth. One family let an alcoholic son live with them and drink all day every day. They provided him with everything, a car, meals, clothing, and they even paid for his booze. When he died of his alcoholism at an early age, they created an entirely fictionalized obituary for him so that the world could see he was a productive and honorable member of society. Theirs was a desperate enabling that extended beyond the grave. Can you imagine? The problem is this. Addiction is such a powerful disease it will find its way into every nook and cranny of a family's thinking. It will create a means, any means, to stay alive and well and cause normally sane people to do highly irrational, self-destructive things. Like sacrificing their money and their peace of mind just to keep the monster fed. That's what they have yet to find out if they ever do. I can tell you my own story. I had been clean and sober for at least 10 years when this thing happened, and it wasn't a thing so much as a series of things that took place over several years that I slowly but surely normalized without realizing that I was being sucked into my young son's addiction. I lived in one city, and he lived with his mother elsewhere a thousand miles away. I lived in Wisconsin, way up north, and he lived and attended college in Texas, way down south. So I was not at all aware of the signs that I should have been aware of or could have been alert to. Car smashed up twice. One time I could not figure out how one could tear the nose off a car in the parking garage unless one was speeding through it. Oh well, I said, and paid for the car. I paid for the car, two cars actually. I paid for the rent. I sent spending money. I paid the tuition. One semester, he got three Fs and one incomplete. $6,000 down the drain, actually more. I still had no clue as to the cause of all this. Then a panic call from Las Vegas. Dad, send money so I can get home. Blah, blah, blah. All this happened and so on. Still no clue. Kid having too good a time, perhaps. Irresponsible. It wasn't until his girlfriend spilled the beans as to why she was leaving him. I must have caught her in an unguarded moment. And she says to me, we'd be okay if he wasn't such a damn cocaine addict. Finally, the truth that I had avoided, denied, and didn't look for. My son, a cocaine addict, all this time. 
The damn disease took me to the cleaners, picked my pocket, but now that I knew the truth, after some consultation with my counselor, of course, I flew to Texas to confront the little bastard as, and this is what I told him. Get your ass into treatment or by the end of this month there will be no more car, no more tuition, no more apartment, no more nothing. He told me at that moment to go F myself. I left some phone numbers to call on his kitchen counter be before I left to go back. He was contrite that morning. The high had worn off because he had went out and then came back in. Take me to the airport. Wouldn't you know it? Two weeks later, his mother called and said, Jake went into Travis County Rehab today. I left out the part where it was just agony for me to threaten to pull the rug out from under him, but I did what my counselor strongly urged me to do, and this is what he said. Stop the enabling. Stop the enabling. Get him into treatment. He's been at this for years. Residential treatment is the only answer now. Minimum 30 days. And in the meantime, many Al-Anon meetings kept me sane and allowed me to stay in the present and not have my boy live in my head all day long. I could get a decent night's sleep and not worry he would go back out there again. That's what Al-Anon did for me. It restored my faith. He did manage to stay clean and sober for a long time. Still is. Now he has two kids and a decent job and an okay ex-wife. <laughs> as life does not always comply with our plans. So what I thought was compassion and care for my boy turned into a devious form of enabling, and had I known it was addiction, I would have acted sooner. As I knew what to do, I was just blind to what was going on. So what have we learned about enabling versus compassion? We have learned that one, the disease is so slick and subtle we can't tell that addiction is starting its infiltration into our family, the whole family. Two, as parents or spouses of addicts, we will be compelled to be compassionate. But our innocent compassion morphs into enabling, and we can't tell the difference. Three, we cannot stand the thought that our kid is an addict, so we will avoid the issue or cover it up vigorously for fear of what others think. Four, then there is the business of desperate enabling, which some people get caught up in. They will sacrifice everything, including their self-respect, to shield their loved one from any serious consequences. And this can go on for years, and they're still unconscious. And number five, even the savvy recovering person, for example, I think I might be one, can miss the signs of addiction in a loved one, and I did. That said, once one is educated about the disease and about the circumstances of the addiction and the knowledge of addiction in a loved one, and if you join a support group like Al-Anon, you can let go in peace. You really can. Our podcast is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com.